0: Welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast, and now your host, Javi Kravitz.
1: Welcome to the Rapport Diamond Podcast. I'm Avi Kravitz and today we chat with Ryan Perry, the acting vice president of strategy and innovation at De Beers. Our big focus during this discussion was Tracer and De Beers recent collaboration with the GIA on the blockchain platform. How do we build scale at Tracer and the role that provenance plays in shaping the diamond and jewelry industry? It's a hot topic across the trade at the moment. So please enjoy this insightful conversation with Ryan Perry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Our special guest today is Ryan Perry, who is the Acting Executive Vice President for Strategy and Innovation at De Beers It's your first time on the podcast, so welcome, Ryan. It's so great to see you in person and to have you on this episode.
0: Great to be here, Avi. Lovely to be on the podcast. I look forward to the session.
1: Likewise. And you know, we've discussed Tracer and De Beers Innovation several times on the podcast with previous guests from the company, but what prompted my interest to bring you on was firstly because you're relatively new in your role as it stands at the moment, although I understand that you have been involved in strategy at De Beers for some time. So that was the first thing I wanted to discuss with you was your position and a bit about your background. And then secondly, the announcement by De Beers and the GIA regarding your partnership over Tracer, and it's such a hot topic at the moment, proof of origin and the provenance story of diamonds that I thought it would be a opportune moment to discuss that with you. So I think we can begin with your personal story and if you could maybe give a bit of a background as to your role at the Beers, your introduction to the industry. Um, who are you, Ryan Perry? What brings you here?
0: i'm based now in london the uk but from my accent you might understand that i originate from south africa so i grew up in south africa and studied engineering in south africa my early career was centered around mining initially i joined a company and worked at kimberley mines back in the days when debia still ran underground mines and surface mines and contract mining out of kimberley it was really my leadership trading ground on technical operations, both underground engineering operations, project management, and the like, and then expanded that into going offshore, work with the marine businesses, both in South Africa and in Namibia, developing projects and technologies for the offshore operations, engineering repairs, dry docking and shutdown repairs of the collective fleet, Namibian and South African fleet, out of Cape Town and a lot, of, a lot of research and development in relation to that. So that was sort of my formative mining years up until that point, big businesses with a really interesting impact in country and with producer partners.
1: Right, and that's a far leap from where you are today, being involved in more the strategic part of the business. How would you define your role at De Beers currently?
0: I think the, the sort of tipping moment was actually out of Cape Town. There was a new CEO that was brought into to De Beers a while ago. Sure you remember the name Philippe Mellier, uh, came in from sort of cars and trucks and trains into De Beers. And at that stage, we were looking for what we call the sort of a technical assistant, someone to work with him and onboard him on the broader De Beers group from a technical side beyond where he was. So actually, that was when I first did my first sort of stint in London, and that really connected me to the international business you know, the business across the value chain, engaging with customers, sideholders. Our brands, the markets, and the global business—you know—that stretches from far-flung exploration all the way through to, you know, just e-commerce in China. Off the back of that, just lots of commercial, commercial roles across the business in strategic planning, investment planning, and assurance, more strategy, portfolio strategy, and that brought me to my role today, which is really now looking after strategy and innovation for the whole group. And that's everything from early-stage market insights, strategy, strategic planning, and development to innovation. And innovation includes our technology portfolio, as well as incubating sort of new businesses and new business ideas.
1: It's easy to think about De Beers as a mining company. And obviously the rough production is the core of the business. But then the bigger picture is how you think about the product and how to move the company forward, which has such a strong influence on the rest of the industry, identifying those trends and really formulating some strategy to move that rough diamond product forward in an innovative way. So is there, I mean, I like to think that there is this sort of overarching thought process at De Beers and looking at it from a company-wide perspective.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting. You can go to Botswana to one of our operations there. that We work in partnership with the government of Botswana and the general manager said to the business actually just a short while ago, that we're not just mining here we're marketing diamonds and so it's not just what we do it's how we do it that builds to a story that is really a beautiful and unique story that you can tell about a natural diamond and why it is such a precious thing for someone to buy ultimately in the end consumer markets and so when we think about de beers you're right 99 percent plus of everything we explore for and mine ends up as jewelry as a consumer Product. So we really do think very deeply about how are those markets going to develop, what can we do to create preference and demand and desire for jewelry and natural diamond jewelry in that consideration set when competing against other products that could take share of wallet like luxury travel experiences and all the rest. And if we get that right, then obviously we've got markets to continue selling into and uh, and make the positive contributions that we make.
1: You're selling the product, but you're also selling the idea of the product, you know, even more so, I would, I would say. You know, I was thinking as you were speaking that perhaps that story of the diamond and the story that you want to tap into would have changed over the last few years, certainly through COVID. And how do you see that story has evolved? Have certain trends sort of become more prominent that you're tapping into? You know, I'm, I'm thinking about that Story, the proof of origin, you know, how has the story of how we market diamonds changed in recent years?
0: I think you know the story of a diamond being inherently precious, unique and special, I think still sits there at the heart. But ultimately, as you know, consumers are looking to buy products in the future, there's an enduring desire to demonstrate love, commitment, and to demonstrate the values that you have and that how that's shown up in the products that you buy and the brands that you buy. So for me, I think the shift and trend is more values for value and brands that are able to use those values to create value. I feel like I've said value too many times in that sentence. I think it's really, really important because values and ultimately financial value are linked by the values that underpin the products that you're selling. And so, yes, I mean, that flows back into provenance and traceability because, you know, what are the values that underpin the product that came to you? You would want to know that the People that interacted with the product along its journey shared the values that you hold here. And you know, it's not just about the product, obviously, it's about the brands that then sell the product. And I guess that trend has continued, we haven't seen that slowing down. Brands really are tapping into and creating value for consumers and customers by linking the value as part of the brand story.
1: Yeah, and ultimately, we like to assume that it's the consumer who is expressing the demand for those values that the brand is tapping into. I sometimes wonder if that is the case. Is it the the stick leading the carrot? You know, is it the, what is the saying? Carrot before the stick? Um, Is it the brand leading the consumer or the other way around? But um, maybe it it doesn't matter. I sometimes feel that the industry has got, or the trade has got a little stuck sometimes in that building provenance trend that it seems very technical. And Tracer does come to mind in this, that, you know, we're talking big words, these, you know, blockchain and traceability. So that it becomes, you know, how do we tick the boxes to show that the diamond has followed this Path that demonstrates value. And so that, that technical aspect of it, maybe in our minds within the trade, kind of maybe waters down that story. And so, how do we overcome that concern? Is it a concern at all? It's a really, really good question.
0: I think there's two sides to what you're saying. I mean, on one side, there's a technical argument, technical facts are, you know, There are things like sanctions. There's increased legislation. There are things like broader trade bodies. There are people who are looking in their supply chain and asking for, you know, technical assurance that these products did come from where they came from and the like. So there's a technical and a solid rationale bringing in pipeline transparency and traceability. And so I think that we've seen that trend for a long time. I mean, if you think of, you know, Tracer, yes, it started in 2018, but our work around sort of provenance and provenance standards, best practice principles, pipeline integrity, I mean that sort of early 2000s, you know, it's been around for plus 20 years. So we've seen this trend, and I think if we believe the trend's going to reverse itself, so I think we'd be fooling ourselves. So that's the technical side. But I think there's an emotional side to it too. Uh, the ability to, off the base of that technical standard, off the base of these sort of technical platforms, really start telling unique compelling and innovative stories about a product's journey and the impact it's had on people, on the planet, on livelihoods, it's all incredibly empowering. It's empowering from maybe on the producer side of the equation, telling the story around what it meant to them to be part of this product's journey, but similarly across the value chain, whether it's in cutting and polishing, jewelry design, manufacturing, retailing and branding. And I have a strong belief that, you know we're gonna look back from the future And go, look, this is the moment where we enabled so much innovation, where we enabled so many people to innovate on top of these sorts of platforms, on top of the technical nature of what it is that we're creating. And that's going to create real value and real demand, and will help us continue to remain relevant as an industry, as a category for decades, decades and decades to come. So I think there's technical rationale, but I actually think there's emotional and emotional link to brand, which will link to value.
1: You know, when when I think about the journey of Tracer, it does feel that the agreement with the GIA was an important moment both from a technical point of view and that emotional side for De Beers to enable the rest of the trade to tell the story via Tracer. So firstly if you could maybe touch on the technical aspects of the GIA partnership, what does it mean practically that the GIA is working with Tracer now and then we'll move into some of the more broader impact that it might have on the trade, on the industry.
0: I think it's it's helpful, mean, almost to think about our collaboration with the GIA in two levels. Think of it as a De Beers-level collaboration and then a Tracer-level collaboration. When I started talking with the team GIA, it was just really obvious straight away to both of us that we've got a you know, real aligned sort of mission. If you take the GIA's mission around public trust in gem and jewelry, and you think about what we want to do around traceability and transparency it's about public trust we want people to have trust and confidence that what they're buying is what they believe to be so I think that's the one side on the other side you know it's also the work that we've done around consumer confidence whether that be you know things like research into lab grown lab grown detection devices the ability for an industry to be equipped with technology that allows them to screen diamonds and make sure that diamonds are natural or lab-grown, whichever way they're trying to go. And the GIA is impartial. You know, they, They're not necessarily a natural diamond company, they're a gem and jewellery company, and they just want public trust. And so a partnership at the De Beers the GIA level around promoting transparency, trust, consumer education makes a lot of sense. And then you know, when you drop it down into Tracer specifically, well, then, you know, the GIA and Tracer can work together on a deeper level, which is around bringing provenance into the GIA system, origin, where the diamond came from, but also GIA as an independent lab, you know, being able to help and engage on Tracer. And ultimately, if I take the collective industry, there's no other player that's probably touching as many diamonds as the GIA, at least at the certified level. So again, you bring the two together, an opportunity to really bring provenance and origin and confidence to a, a consumer through brands that they need trust.
1: So my understanding is that the provenance that's proven through Tracer would appear on the GIA grading report. That's correct, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, that's the intention, yeah.
1: And then from Tracer's point of view, the GIA's information from those grading reports would be fed into the Tracer system. Is that a fair assumption?
0: Yeah, if you go on Tracer at the moment, our customers that are on Tracer would have diamonds, they polish diamonds on Tracer, they would have the GIA reports loaded up onto Tracer. And through GIA participating directly, In Tracer, there's the opportunity for the GIA to interface with Tracer and bring the grading information and obviously the grading report directly into Tracer. It makes it easier for customers, so it helps the broader process, but also it's sort of a GIA report, a route from that report into Tracer to verify the origin. So, again, we're hoping over the next couple of weeks to show the world a little bit more about this partnership and the collaboration specifically as we go into JCK and beyond. Hopefully we can bring it to life with a little bit more visuals and a demonstration of what that would look like. But in essence, the the intent is that the ecosystem participates together.
1: Right. I think that'll be helpful because what aspect of the origin story will appear on the GIA report? Is it the source of origin? And we know that many diamonds don't necessarily have that mining source that's revealed and the traceability story might start at the manufacturing level or even later. It'll be helpful to see visually how that provenance is disclosed on those reports.
0: And I guess uh, the GIA is very much a trust-based, fact-based company. So GIA would not be telling a provenance story or marketing necessarily. Diamonds they will be telling the facts in relation to to the diamond. It's about consumer and public trust and confidence. And so the origin will be the origin that is loaded into Tracer, you know, and specifically in the case of De Beers, it's our origin. It's the origin of where we've sourced the diamonds from or mined the diamonds from. In some cases, as you know, that's at an aggregate level and then over time at a country level, which is the intention.
1: And the GIA has done its own work in showing origin. I'm not sure if those origin reports are still operational or being issued, but they certainly have the know-how and some knowledge base to prove origin in their own way. And so I'm wondering if that would feed into the tracer system as well. Or if it's a purely the Beers play to tap your technology to show origin as a pure tracer product
0: yeah it's obviously not my place to talk on behalf of gia in terms of decisions they might take but i mean in essence what this does is it takes it to scale so the ability to do this at scale is what tracer is about the unique characteristic i guess of tracer is that it's a diamond blockchain that starts its source and operates at scale but well over a million diamonds over the last site. Each of the sites is loading over 200,000, in fact, uh, reaching up to 300,000 diamonds uh, each site. We're obviously focusing on value here, so that's already more than half of Devere's value being uploaded onto, onto Tracer. And so that's really our desire here, is to work with industry to take the solution to scale. I think there will always be, not just GIA, but many other players, there will be programs centered around province and traceability um, often they're done for through specific public collaborations of a limited scale potentially for brands etc and I'm sure that'll continue in fact you know we want more innovation in this space as I said to you before it's an important area what we lack as an industry is a solution that we can work at scale and so obviously our focus here is a scale solution and at the moment yeah for the beers production but we want to We really do genuinely want this to work for industry.
1: I think that's an important observation that I've made, at least. At the beginning of the blockchain buzz, it felt like there were these different platforms in development that were competing each other for space. You know, in hindsight now, I think we realize that a diamond can appear on many blockchains and they all verify the authenticity and the story of that diamond. But it's interesting what you're saying about scale. But why is scale important? I guess the more diamonds you have that show provenance, the better for the industry.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, we would love a sort of world where every diamond has the possibility of its provenance being traced end to end. Yes, people will decide to make use of that technology or not as you go down the value chain, but it's very difficult retrospectively to say, this diamond, I now want to have provenance when it, didn't start with the provenance at the beginning of the value chain and so really for us it is about enabling this at scale and that's why we're starting at the source and you're seeing the site holders that are now on tracer you know the volumes that they're putting on are growing exponentially each cycle Um, whether that be split diamonds or final polished diamonds it really is increasing you know massively and that's really off a fairly modest base from the back end of last year. It's sort of well over 200,000 polished diamonds going on the platform now.
1: And is there scope now, or is this the next phase for non debias diamonds to be on the platform? Are you working with other miners? And can site holders perhaps bring other uh, diamonds sourced from other miners onto Tracer?
0: Yeah, look, I mean, it's a tricky technology, and we're really trying to make sure it does work at scale. The team in Tracer and our customers, I'm sure, would say we've had a lot to learn in this process of taking it to scale. It's not necessarily easy, and uh, and obviously a lot of what we want is to get feedback from the market around what is working, what isn't working, and make sure it genuinely can serve its its purpose. I think in part of that process, obviously we're approached by industry players, other producers, other areas with a desire to collaborate and think about when and how they can come on to Tracer. And we are, we're thinking about that quite carefully, but I mean, fundamentally, what we're after is a platform here that works for industry at scale. And so we will explore that over time.
1: Okay, I mean, it's almost that trace has come full circle because it felt like it began as this platform that would be like a service for the industry as a whole. And then there was um, maybe a realization of the, that that ambition was and that it needs to be built up on a more gradual level. And now you're sort of building it up to scale to meet that initial uh, initial goal. So it's, it's kind of interesting to to observe. Uh, just going back to the GIA deal, uh, among the many benefits I think that... Um, that are of interest in that partnership are at the lies with the the retail jeweler because the retail jeweler does use the GIA report as a marketing tool, and so I think this does enable jewelers to show provenance as part of their quality assessments and explanation to their customers. and And so I'm I'm wondering if there is in addition to that if that is part of the discussion with GIA in how jewelers can use their reports to show Tracer's role in quality assurance, let's say, if, if provenance is part of that storyline. But then also if Tracer is working with jewelers, um, you know, how can the jeweler, the retail jeweler, use Tracer independent of GIA perhaps to tap into that storyline?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really good question. I mean, part of what we've spoken with the GIA about and in this broader space around consumer and consumer education, I guess there's the recognition that one, the GIA, has a sort of a vast alumni network and training programs, you know, that train sales executives, sales staff, etc., but people across the trade. And so there is is a piece here around how do you talk about natural diamonds? How do you talk about origin? What are the facts, the unique messages that you could articulate in that moment where a, a customer walks into a an independent retailer, say, as an example, in the US, uh, what are the messages that you would like every consumer to leave with in relation to natural diamonds? And so I think there is an opportunity there because, you know, what I think is contained in in the GIA reports is the stuff that people learn and they will be able to articulate. But now we're adding origin, so provenance, And that links to a story, and that story is a fact-based story. Uh, These these diamonds were formed billions of years ago, Uh, the fact they managed to get the surface and not be graphite and actually be a diamond is a miracle of nature Um, the journey to discover these things that are each unique and finite they are running out you know we're past peak production of diamonds so there's there's a genuine story that's fact-based that i think is quite interesting and compelling to engage with a consumer Whether you enter that story to do more research via a GIA channel where you engage with the GIA report, double click through that report and enter into the Tracer ecosystem where you're then exploring the diamond's journey and provenance in, in more detail, or you're going directly into Tracer. Exploring that for yourself, but then checking the credentials of the diamond, the quality credentials of the diamond, you know, by branching out into the GIA, doesn't really matter. But it brings trust and authenticity to that story and the credibility that we've brought. So we think it could be really powerful.
1: Right. I um. I think most importantly is that it backs up the brand, whether it's a big name brand or just the brand of that family jeweler in middle America. It enables them to sell with confidence. They have that backing. I had this discussion with someone on the retail side of the trade and she made the point that, you know, the end consumer doesn't really care too much about our hang-ups that we have within the industry, within the trade. You know, we have these debates about so many things. And, you know, from a personal point of view, I love that debate. But at the end of the day, the customer just wants to buy a beautiful diamond. And the added benefit is that the retailer can sell with confidence. You know, it's almost like an insurance policy in a way. But I think it'll be interesting to see if the industry can proactively sell along that provenance angle and perhaps it's becoming more important as the russia sanctions are having an impact and various other elements to it like you said it's not just it's not just a geopolitical play it's also the environmental and sustainability part of the story that retailers can tell and does tracer enable that sustainability story as well
0: yeah, so I mean, Trace absolutely the data that you share through the platform, yeah, you know, from one participant to the next, is it's a digital platform, so it can enable it to share factual ESG data if that's that's what you want, or rich um, content. But that's all on the choice of the individual participant. You can choose what it is that you want to share through the platform, and choose what you want to keep to yourself. At the moment, our focus is around provenance and traceability. We certainly believe that trace could be used for things around sort of carbon impact across the value chain, for sure. As more legislation and requirements come down the track in relation to that, whether that be on an individual diamond basis or on an aggregate basis for the participant, there are multiple things that a connected industry would benefit from in having a connected platform that has. Both trust, but ultimately assurance. And you look. Like, I mean, again, Tracer is the fancy system, <laughs> but uh, but in the end, it's built at the moment on top of, as I said, pipeline integrity, best practice principles. You know, the broader standards on which the industry plays, and you know, the declarations that are made and the information that is shared is really an immutable record of those players adhering to those standards and those systems. So you can expand the standards and the systems and you just end up, yeah, still back into a a immutable record of any claim that is made against any standard or system.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it's quite the task and you, you've done a good job in, in simplifying it, making it understandable. So I appreciate that. But the scale of the challenge to scale up Tracer is certainly an important one for the industry as a whole. Before we close, are there any other projects that we should be aware of that you're involved in that I think that are going to have an impact um, this year? You know, wh- anything that you feel our listeners should be aware of coming out of De Beers innovation and strategy programs you, that you oversee? I
0: don't know where to start. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're huge. I think the things that, that are, are really important, I guess, to the and uh, and obviously also to El Cook as our sort of incoming CEO, there are obvious priorities. I mean, priorities around landing producer partnerships with the governments that we've been in discussions with uh, for many years. But, you know, some of those discussions have been delayed by... COVID, and need to focus there. And again, both sides really committed to getting to agreements, specifically in Botswana. But we continue to engage with governments across the globe on various initiatives and agreements. So absolutely critical. Obviously, going into sort of JCK in the next couple of months, towards the end of the year, a huge amount of focus of the leaders and the collective executives navigating a very tricky market with the industry. And so, you know, an absolute focus, which I think is critical. But then I think, look, on the technology side, you know, we think tracer is critical now, um, and so there'll be a lot more engagement as we go into JCK and into the, the back end. But uh, you know, similarly, we've got technology across the group that we continue to invest in and implement uh, around our own sort of either internal channel or challenges or external. So uh, there's a huge amount of we in-market internal to the beers and with our producer partners it keeps us out of mischief.
1: Absolutely. And we all recognize the many challenges that the industry is facing. But I think also, I can't remember a time when there's been so much innovation in the industry. And and I think that's something very exciting, both within De Beers, I think, and also, you know, many other companies that are bringing really different ways of thinking about diamonds but thinking about the market how we can navigate this changing and ever-evolving sort of consumer landscape i think it's very very cool and very interesting to watch so thank you for your contribution on that side of things and um, thanks so much for being on the podcast ryan it's been a pleasure to chat with you for the last half hour thanks Avi, and thanks to your listeners
0: i think it's been a uh... Uh, really interesting discussion, and uh, I look forward to engaging a lot more with you and your listeners over the coming months.
1: Absolutely, and we'll be keeping an eye on all developments related to Tracer. So thanks very much. Thank you, Ryan, and thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rapport Diamond Podcast. For more discussions, news and analysis about the diamond industry, visit us on rapport.com, follow Rapport Group on Instagram and follow Rapport on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. And don't forget to subscribe to get future episodes.